Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello and welcome to the show. Hallo und herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. Today, today is Atomic Habits by James Clear. This is a book that I have been so excited to review and talk about a little bit on the podcast. It's one that I finished quite a bit ago and have been sitting on and mulling over, implementing a lot of the strategies. So you're not only going to get the reader's perspective of this book, but also the doer's perspective in that sense. And we'll talk a little bit about the podcasting schedule as sort of a controlling theme for this show, what happened to it, and also how I fixed it. Let's get into why I read Atomic Habits. The first point is something that has come up more and more for me lately in just as a pattern in my life, which is that I kept hearing about it over and over. In fact, it was one of those books that a friend would say, I just read Atomic Habits. Have you heard about it? Or they'd ask for a recommendation on a habit change book and I wouldn't have great ones because I mostly read contemporary fiction. So there were just a bombardment of different avenues that I kept hearing about this book, kept reading about this book, seeing James Clear in interviews, the whole nine. I think the book, A Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is very similar. I've never read it still, but it's one of those books that just keeps coming up in my life for some reason. The second is that I finally got the occasion to read this book. I'm not one of those people who actively seeks out self-help books typically, and I wouldn't necessarily call this a self-help book. It's more of like a book of tools <laughs> in the, in that sense. It's not like your it's not soft in that sense. It's very practical. It's very implementable into your life. Um and that's something that I've experienced as I've finished reading the book and have sat on the concepts for a couple of weeks. So I finally got the occasion to read this book and part of the occasion of course was me traveling internationally and having this productivity uh, downward snowball that occurred and what happened there is essentially throughout the fall, fall semester that is of university, I realized that I would let little things go. James Clear explains this as getting 1% worse every day. You don't really feel a measurable change until four months later when you travel internationally for the first time in two years and knocks it out of you and kablooey. All of your habits are suddenly extinguished and you have nothing to stand on. So this practically looks like when I was earlier in my career at university, I had a very strict sleep schedule and what I would do is something called habit stacking. And I, ha I did not know this was habit stacking at the time, this is just what I naturally did. But I would put habits on either end of my sleep schedule. So for example, at 8pm, I would get in bed and I would start reading, I would go to sleep at 9, you know, I would take 
melatonin or whatever I had to do right before I started reading. So it's sort of this compounding of habits that you have. So if there's an event or a place that you know you're going to show up to, then you build habits around that to make it easier to do them. So when I had this difficult term and there was this weird in-person thing all of a sudden and <laughs> things got a little disjointed and I had some new environmental situations going on, I decided, new living situation I mean, I decided to allow a couple of things every day to slide a little bit, you know, go to bed at 9.30 instead of 9, get in bed to read a little bit late, what have you, and all of a sudden when I had this bigger shift in my life, which was the international travel to Nuremberg, I was not, I didn't have enough of the habit left, I didn't have enough consistency left to stand on. So the part of the occasion again for reading this book came out of the realization that I needed something or some things, plural, that were going to help me get back into things that I had naturally done before and sort of needed to kickstart artificially at this point in my life. I also had the occasion in the sense that my roommate came to me and said, I want to read a book with you. And I said, great, let's start with Atomic Habits because it was one that, again, has shown up quite a bit, has been on my mind, and one that I have wanted to read for a while. So let's talk about some general concepts within the book. And I think the way that James Clear organizes the book is really intuitive and I liked it a lot. So he has this beginning section of what habits are and why habits are important and sort of establishing the reasoning and the motivation for what he's going to talk about in the later chapters. The meat of the book is four different categories, if you will, for establishing habits and they're linked to these different stages of a habit and those are that you want to make the habit obvious, attractive, easy, and satisfying and again they correspond to sort of the ultimate habit forming or habit cycle if you will. And then at the end of the book he closes with a more a broader discussion about talent and when to choose to build habits and the ramifications of what happens when you break habits as I did and that's an interesting broad scope discussion that he gets into before concluding. So in general, a couple things that I really enjoyed about this beginning section is that again he links the four chapters to these four biological habit forming tendencies or categories, which are cue for obvious, craving for attractive, response for easy, and reward for satisfying, and kind of breaks it down to this level of at our, it's very Freudian in a sense, at our most basic 
fundamental self. We want to build habits to essentially live the most productive life, to reproduce, to continue living, that type of situation. And so when you go about thinking about it and establishing habits, it's good to think about it from this sort of basic biological, in a sense, level. He also gets into a lot about habits and identity and how the way that you think about yourself and the way that you express yourself matters to the kinds of habits that you'll end up being successful at forming. So for example, if I consistently tell people, as I once did many years ago, that I'm not a math person, and yet I want to build a habit of studying for physics every night, there's going to be this cognitive dissonance there that disallows me from making more progress on building the habit, on studying physics itself. It's sort of this chain of reactions that occurs when my identity doesn't align with the habits that I'm forming. And this is something that gets into a lot of what the minimalists talk about, for example, is you have to really think about what your values are, what your core values are. This is not something like, I value my work, you know, this is like, I value contribution or I value connection with people. It's something that is so fundamental and foundational to you that you would sacrifice the external for it. And a lot of times building a habit, choosing the right habits to implement are going to build off of these foundational values because the foundational values are going to give you motivation and reasoning enough to start. And that's really oftentimes all you need in order to build a good habit is to just start every day. So number one, making it obvious. For this habit, I needed to go small. And I have different habits for each of these, and I'll talk about podcasting in between here and there. But for this part of the habit system, I wanted to test it with something that I knew I needed to do more quickly. So as you read the book, right, he gives you more strategies for how to, to build and implement habits. Um, and I was at such an unmoored point when I started reading this book that I thought, okay, I need just something, right, that I can do consistently. Um, so I chose stretching. Uh, I'm a musician. I'm preparing for uh, several upcoming concert cycles that are very intense. Um, for the next foreseeable future. So uh, my habit was to stretch before I go to bed and right after I get up. And so my cue to make the habit obvious is I'm gonna put my yoga mat out. And I have a very small bedroom. So there is no sidestepping the yoga mat when it is rolled out got paper notes today, excuse the background noise. There is no excusing the yoga mat. 
I have to stretch when I see this yoga mat on my floor because I can't put it away until I stretch. <laughs> so making it obvious for this, this is you know a blown over example in some senses, but for me, making it obvious, changing a physical cue is something that I immediately attend to because I'm one of those people who likes everything very neat and orderly. It bothers me a lot when things aren't in place or when things are left out, all of that. My brother, for instance, though, my roommate, they are both people who would not, they would put the yoga mat out on the floor and then leave it for a week before putting it away. So this one doesn't work in isolation for everyone to build a habit. But for me, using this make it obvious in isolation was something that really helped. This one also works with time and location cues. So aside from environmental cues, which is what I did, my roommate did a time and location cue. So she passes the gym on her walk home from work and she wrote out a sentence like James Clear does in the book. I will go to the gym on the way home from work at 6 p.m., making up times every night, you know? So that's another way to make a habit obvious is literally if the gym is on your route home, all you have to do is commit to building the habit to going inside the gym. Podcasting for me did not work in isolation with this goal. I think the most that I do for this is if I am recording that day, so if I'm recording a podcast, for example, this morning when I sat down to record, I put out everything the night before for that morning recording, or if I'm recording at night, I'll set up my desk in the corner for a recording session. Um, and that just gets me in the mindset so that I don't have to add the setup time to my actual recording creative time. And I found that helps a lot, but if I just set up the equipment, I'm not gonna podcast <laughs> in isolation. I have to have some of these other tools in place in order to successfully record and publish a podcast, which is something that I have learned in the past couple months of disjointed scheduling and getting my schedule and my life back in a reasonable order. Make it attractive. This one, I decided to work on a habit that we used to be very central to me. Again, I hope that you can feel my frustration with this in part, uh, with letting this 1% worse every day allow habits that were successful and valuable to me to fail. And then all of the work that I've had to do on the back end of that, of rebuilding those good habits that I naturally had before. Um, so this attractive habit one tenant of my earlier routine, my earlier collection of habits, was I woke up on my first alarm when I was, you know, one, two years ago. And this is something that throughout the pandemic started to slide pretty, I would say pretty immediately. There just wasn't, when I woke up, 
in previous years, there were places to go, there were people to see almost immediately. You know, I would go to a dining hall, I would go make breakfast with friends, I would go to a coffee shop to study, and during the pandemic, there were no people to see and nowhere to go. So I ended up sleeping in more and more, or I would snooze an alarm and not feel bad about it because again, there was nowhere to be. <laughs> there was stuff to do, but the location ends up being extremely important for my productivity. So my goal was to reestablish the habit of waking up on my first alarm. <laughs> This is easier said than done, I will say. So the first couple weeks that I tried this, the rule here, of course, is make it attractive. And I was at ends, you know, to make this more attractive. It was already obvious the alarm is across the room and it's loud and I wake up immediately when it starts. So that was, you know, obvious enough for me to be able to get up out of bed and at least hit the snooze button. It just wasn't attractive to me anymore, however, especially in the first few weeks of this year of 2022 when we were remote classes again and I had again nowhere to be. So what I ended up doing is I started telling myself that I could read for 20 to 30 minutes as soon as I got up, if I got up on my first alarm. If I didn't, I would have to get up and immediately start stretching, getting dressed, whatever. And eventually it worked. <laughs> I did end up starting to wake up on my first alarm, reading for 20 minutes in bed, which was lovely. I enjoyed that so much. And that was the sort of carrot that I gave myself every morning. and. Now I wake up on my first alarm again, and that is a wonderful feeling. I don't read every morning because I don't need the carrot anymore. Now getting up on my first alarm is the reward in itself. Um, and that's something that I, again, have so enjoyed and that's been such a valuable lesson for me is that I don't have to keep the carrot forever <laughs> if I start to enjoy the habit in itself. And so what's going on here is something that James Clear talks about. There's this sort of dopamine feedback loop that occurs in habit forming. And so in the short term, you wanna make sure that you're in a sense hijacking that dopamine feedback loop. So what you do, or what at least I did that was successful here is to pair wants with needs, right? I needed to get my sleep schedule back on track, at least on this morning end and I wanted to read. So it was one of those compromise situations. I didn't sacrifice that much by reading for 20 minutes in the morning, um, but I ended up gaining a lot because I was fixing my circadian rhythm in a way that it hadn't been repaired in a long time. So again, habits are about consistency. It's not about doing, it's not about getting up on the first alarm, reading for one hour every morning and one hour in the night, you know, and having this sort of like extreme time scale on everything, right? If you go to the gym and it's, you know, once a week for three hours versus 20 minutes every day, even on your worst days, 
this consistency is going to matter more in the long run than these like odd chunks of time that you build in, especially if you don't have a trainer or something like that working with this example, you are going to perhaps miss the gym and not even go once a week for three hours. In terms of podcasting, this is, again, this was a hard one for me to implement, especially since podcasting already in itself is so attractive. And this attractive rule is meant to be for the short term. So that was really difficult for me to think about, okay, how can I make podcasting, like the act of recording itself, become attractive in the short term when it's already so enjoyable for me? And I don't have an answer to this one, I'll be honest. These first two were, um, I was hard pressed again to find ways to fix my podcasting with these. That's not to say though that there aren't methods that one could use for a habit like podcasting every week. Um, but again, I was hard pressed to find corollaries in this particular chapter. Number three, make it easy. The story or the anecdote that stuck out to me the most in this chapter is when Claire explains there's this famous dancer who lives in New York City and she gets up, she gets dressed in her exercise clothes and she hails a taxi to go to the gym every day. And her habit is not going to the gym. Her habit is hailing the taxi. I love this. This was mind-changing. This was goal-changing for me. And I had to finick with this habit a little bit. My habit for rule number three or tool number three was practicing the oboe in the mornings. Getting a, a an afternoon session was always fine for me, but getting that extra morning session in is something that really changes the game for my playing often. So I needed to figure out how to practice early and get that early session in. So I thought at first that maybe, you know, packing my backpack the night before with my practice materials would be the answer. It was not. I would just go to the music school at the same time every afternoon and just do work in the morning. <laughs> I would ignore my packed bag in other words. And I realized that for me making going to the practice room easy and making that goal easier was putting on my winter coat. So as soon as I got my winter coat on, I knew I was going to hit the practice room that day. And that was something that was extremely valuable to me as I continued to work through this, again, these this new stage of habit building. I think often when people read this book, they're not completely unmoored as I was, maybe they are, but for me, remember, I had to start building like all of my habits from scratch again. And so for me, implementing this really difficult habit, I don't know if, if you have a corollary of this in your own life, but you know, professionals in any field to a certain extent have this, where there's this requisite skill set that they need to develop. And that's often very challenging to do in a consistent way. And it's not that I don't enjoy practicing, obviously, not that I don't enjoy playing my instrument. It's just that 
doing something every day that's a lot of technical work that's a lot of focus and intention and energy that is difficult and oftentimes especially in the early morning <laughs> you're not going to want to do that um, and sheer force of will isn't going to get you in the practice room habits are structure is so again packing my bag wasn't enough that was perhaps in a sense too easy and putting on my winter coat making the habit easy in that sense as soon as i got my winter coat on i knew i would go to the practice room that allowed me to start practicing regularly in the mornings in a way that i haven't in a long time which was again so refreshing so excellent so for this one easy what I did and what I continue to think about when I, especially when I podcast, for me, starting to podcast is getting out my recording equipment, right? As soon as I touch my microphone, I know I'm going to at least have a setup for a podcast. In the morning, I, if I'm podcasting in the morning, that is, I will brew a cup of tea. And that literally the act of making tea is what's going to get me to work. Whether it's podcasting, by the way, or schoolwork or thesis work, whatever it might be, brewing the cup of tea gives me that grounded sense of I'm about to start working. I'm about to start doing this habit. So my advice here would be, and again, this comes from James Clear, break down the habit to the simplest components and keep going down that line of simplicity until you find something that works consistently for you to do the habit. And number four, make it satisfying. So this one's the most abstract in the sense that making something satisfying is for the long term, right? It's sort of similar to the attractive thing. You're not going to want to do the habit consistently if it's not over time filling you up, right? So I wouldn't be successful at building my practice routine if over time I didn't get a deep joy from playing music well, right? I wouldn't be able to use this uh, make it obvious to do yoga every day or to stretch every day if stretching didn't have a long-term impact. And for me, you know, that stretching, for, for example, long-term impact would be something like week to week or month to month, I feel better and I'm able to move better, practice and play better, right? So all of those things are extremely important for this foundation of being able to establish the habit. And a lot of that is psychological, which is why this is a little bit more abstract. And a lot of this was just honestly just a good reminder for me. This one, this number four satisfying helped me with podcasting the most. And the reason why is I forgot about the long-term satisfaction that I get from podcasting. And that's something that really surprised me is that I am not the kind of person that typically forgets about long-term impacts. I am extremely intentional about delayed gratification, for example, and the whole nine when it comes to that, right? I'm not gonna eat cookies every day, <laughs> that kind of situation. 
But I really did forget how much podcasting means to me and how much the show and interacting with you all means to me. And that is really the kernel of what got me back to podcasting regularly is keeping an eternal or a long-term mindset in perspective. It's not about the show this week, it's about the show over four years, right? And that's something that, again, changed my perspective enough for me to start podcasting in this consistent way again and to really building that habit up again. So let's talk about the book more generally, an overall perspective on the book, especially as I am about a month or two out since I read the book with my roommate and we discussed it and implemented some habits together. So in terms of the structure of the book, I really liked the TLDRs at the end of each chapter. There's a book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, who is just this amazing, like for me, a seminal figure in women's health. And she has another book with her sister about burnout. This book, Come As You Are, is wonderful. I'm just gonna, you know, insert that plug there. I think it's great for men and women. It's great for people who want to get on the same page with their relationship. It's a book about intimacy and relationship building. And it's a book about being vulnerable. And it's a science and data driven book. It's something that I hope to review on the podcast someday. Honestly, it's an excellent, excellent read. And it was very valuable to me. I digress. Emily Nagoski also has TLDRs at the end of every chapter. So having the TLDRs here, the too long didn't read, sort of blurbs that outline in bullets each chapter, that was super helpful for me, especially as I was preparing this episode to check in on my habits, how I built them, where they're standing, and also to remember a couple of the practical tips and techniques that James Clear discusses. For example, there's one where he talks about a friend who resets the room every time he leaves. This is something that I also do. So every time I leave my apartment, I completely reset my room back to its default status. I don't leave blankets out. I don't leave books out. I put everything back in its place. And that's something that really helps me psychologically. When I come back into the room, it's ready to be used for the next step and I don't have to kind of retrace my steps even mentally from what I was doing before in the room before I left. So a lot of those little tips and strategies come in there and that's something that I have found again extremely helpful. I don't have to read large sections of chapters over again to figure out or find references that I need. I can literally just go to the TLDRs. Also like Come As You Are, I liked the mix of science and data and practical advice. This is something that I am really drawn to as someone who has a lasting interest in social psychology, for example, books by authors like Adam Grant and Malcolm Gladwell. I really enjoyed having this anecdotal evidence in the book, but also having this biological argument in the beginning, for example, and a lot of different habit data to draw from in terms of how the methods for how to build habits in my own life. 
And finally, there's a broader discussion about not rising to the level of your intentions or motivations, but falling to the level of your habits or your systems. And this is something that Adam, that James Clear, not Adam Grant, this is something that James Clear repeats and emphasizes throughout. Um, and that's something that I think about constantly now as I review my habits and I'm in this period of reflection now on them. That's something that was so actionable to me as well, is not thinking about am I motivated or not to do this thing, but really relying on the systems that I've built to not give me the decision in that sense to do that thing or not. And that's freed up a lot of brain space for me. I'm not constantly like, oh my gosh, you know, I have to do this habit that I should do but don't want to. No, it's it's about getting up and just doing it or having a cue and doing it, or it's so easy, you just might as well do it, you know? And that's been eminently helpful and eminently actionable after I finished reading this book. My only critique really is the conversation at the end of the book. And the reason why I critique this is because the conversation I felt at the end of this four-step sort of outliner system was a bit tangential to implementing habits. It talks a lot about, you know, talent again and which habits to choose to implement and which directions to go in with habits. And again, I found that kind of tangential. I liked the ending on a broader perspective, especially since he started with a broader perspective. Um, but for me personally, it just was not the right way to end the book. I would have rather rathered a tangible example or, you know, a long form picture of what these habits look like. And perhaps Clear did that to a certain extent with this discussion, but I would have, again, for my personal gratification at the end of this book would have liked something a little more practical. And that is all for this book, Atomic Habits. I benefited from it a lot. I would recommend it for people who need just another perspective on habit building, or if you're like me, coming out of the pandemic and out of some tumultuous weird <laughs> times of getting 1% worse instead of 1% better every day and you're unmoored a little bit, I would recommend this book just to help you get started rebuilding those good habits from the past. If you have any questions or comments, you can leave them at relevanceofliterature.com slash notes under the show notes for today's episode. Thank you all for sticking with me and I'll see you next week.
If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.